Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by BT Scoop 24-7 Sports. My name is Andrew Alex, joined today by the head honcho, Evan Watkins, joining us today. What's going on, dude? Oh, just living the dream. How you doing? Doing well, doing well. Sun is setting over Charlotte, North Carolina tonight. You know, summer's coming to a close here, which means Doug Bobin's getting ready to grow out that beard even thicker and find himself in the parking lot somewhere surrounding Lane Stadium. You excited, dude? I'm getting there. Uh, I think I was I was watching a Chris Fowler video today, and he once again, you know, when he says like Lane Stadium's narrow, claustrophobic tunnel, like I mean that means football season's right around the corner. That, that's like his go-to tunnel description. Um, and I mean it mean I mean we got what? But it's we're recording this on Wednesday. We got Nebraska Northwestern on Saturday to get us started. Yes. But, Western Kentucky, Austin Pay. I think there's a Hawaii Vanderbilt game that kicks off at like 10:30 Eastern, 11:30. A full day of mediocre college football sounds great. Hey, Truly, what more can you ask for? Before we get into it, Doug, did you get confirmation yet? Did you get approval to have more than two TVs set up? You know, what's the deal going on uh, yeah. in your home? I mean, I already have two TVs. It's just in a, uh, you know, you know, as any you know, person should have two TVs um, in one room at some point. I already have it in one room. You know, there's a little better room that I would like to bring a second TV in. Um, I'm just going to have to just going to have to do it, I think. Um, you know, when Austin P and Western Kentucky are playing at the same time as Northwestern and, and Nebraska, it's a no brainer to me. I think you're going to need a third TV in there, too. How many TVs you got in your game watching room, Evan? Does Mrs. Watkins uh, allow that to happen? Oh, we have we have TVs everywhere. <laughs> we have, Remember <laughs> that I have to keep three young people very entertained throughout an entire summer. So Every, everyone gets a that, TV. <laughs> after that, it's kind of just you take what you can get and you mix it all together and see what happens. I like it. I like it. I like it a lot. Well, let's get things started by talking about recruiting before we look ahead to the season, which, as Doug just mentioned, we are literally knocking on the door of here. But the recruiting trail maybe getting a little bit hot. Evan, give us some updates. Yeah, you know, right now, I think uh, I think we've seen basically the summer commitments we were going to see. Uh, there was a lot of talk. Elijah Hughes from from day one has said he wanted to make a decision in August, but I think He's gotten so much attention uh, in the last maybe month or so that he just wants to take his time and make sure he sees everything. Um, he really wanted Stanford. He solicited Stanford. He went out there on his own dime to get the Stanford offer. It's as uh, I always say, it's the hardest offer in the country to get. Um, it's harder to get than Alabama. It's harder to get than Clemson. It's the hardest offer out there to get uh, due to the high academic standards and the uh, sheer lack of volume of offers that go out from Stanford. So he got that offer. Uh, that was his dream school. I flipped my prediction to Stanford, thought they would get him. I thought it would it would fairly be fairly quick, too, and he, he hasn't pulled the trigger anywhere. I flipped it back to Virginia Tech uh, because he was there for the Hokie Fest. Every uh, inkling we got out of that weekend was – Virginia Tech was going to be tough to beat. Um, they they rolled out the red carpet. They showed him everything. He 
and his family wanted to see. Um, since then, I think, you know, Miami offered, Virginia offered, just got the USC Trojans this week. So I think more is just going to come in for him. He's a guy, you know, I've talked to him numerous times. Um, he's very intelligent and he is going to take his time. Um, he had a tentative timeline of August. Now new variables are in play. He's going to going to take that time and think it out with him and his family and kind of see what shakes out. Um, you know, I don't have a time frame anymore on him. He could take some officials. Um, he could go out to the West Coast in the fall, see what's going over there, see what new offers come in. He does have uh, a connection to Virginia Tech. His brother is a sophomore there right now, and I think that plays into it. Um, he's got some West Coast ties from what I've heard. I haven't directly talked to him about the West Coast. I talked to him a lot about where he has, where he's at in his recruitment and uh, specifically about Virginia Tech. But I have heard he has some ties out West. Uh, so that's going to be one that's going to be interesting to watch. He's a top guy for for Virginia Tech. They offered him early, and they've they've been the constant throughout his entire recruitment. Um, obviously, there's a little pause that he hasn't ended it yet. Um, but you know, knowing what I know about him and the way he is calculating, uh, you know, what's going on in his recruitment, I think uh, I think it's smart that he's going to continue to keep looking and make sure he makes the right decision. So. You know, he's kind of one we're keying in on um, moving forward. Him and Meeson Kelly, I think, is another one um, out of uh, out of South Carolina. He's cousins with Thomas Williams. That obviously helps Virginia Tech. Hokies are the probably the best offer he has at this time. That will likely not be the case when signing day comes. Visited Blacksburg this summer, really liked it. Was trying to come for Hokie Fest, but it didn't work out due to his practice schedule. Thomas was actually up there on campus and Virginia Tech FaceTimed uh, with Meeson and offered him over the phone. So, you know, I think he's really excited to get back to Blacksburg. Might be there for the Boston College game, but um, it sounds like he's going to push that official visit back to December. Uh, Auburn's involved. Florida's involved. Clemson's always obviously going to be involved. If you look at the map, I think it's about a three minute drive from his high school campus to Clemson. So. Obviously, they're gonna gonna keep that uh, seat warm and see if that's a guy that they decide later in the cycle they want to press for. And then Oklahoma, obviously, they've got some deep ties to the Clemson area as well. So, you know, I think those are kind of the schools in play for him right now. Uh, Virginia Tech's the biggest of the offers, but any of those offers would probably be kind of game changers for him. So, you know, they're they're sitting right now with those two still out there. There's a couple of guys that they're planning to evaluate throughout their senior season. Uh, and then, you know, I think right now where this thing ends up is probably 21 to 23 high school uh, signees. And then you backfill that maybe Juco, but but definitely transfer portal and try to get some guys in that can build that floor of the roster pretty quickly going into next season. Evan, when it's all said and done, could you pinpoint a number that this class is going to end up with? Um, when you look at the transfers that are in there, that that could be coming out too. Uh, you know, I think that I think this class in total will probably end up closer to thirty, and that's when you include the transfers. Uh, but that all is going to depend on who leaves. You know, there's, you know, we talk about it sometimes how the numbers always work out. There's there's always 
fluidity with the numbers. But there's also the compliance department who's not going to say you can't go out and sign these 30 kids when you only have nine kids leaving. So that obviously wouldn't happen. You can't oversign that much. But I expect with a coaching change, uh, and I think that when you add in the, the transfer portal, I think I think Virginia Tech will push to oversign. That just makes too much sense right now. Um, so, you know, when it's all said and done, I would like to see uh, six, maybe even seven transfers spread out, you know, in the December period and then in, again after the spring going into fall camp. I think that that would really help if they could find some some holes to fill. But you also have to remember now you have some guys that, have some extra eligibility that could stick around. You know, a guy like Feldarius Payne transferred into Virginia Tech for his final season, but gets gets injured and still likely will have another season due to COVID that he could play. So, you know, he could be back for another year. Um, I haven't looked deep into the eligibility of Cole Beck, but if Cole Beck has two years, that's also another year that could come off the 23 numbers. So, you know, there's a lot of, uh, of fluidity there with some guys that could maybe enter the portal themselves, could head to the NFL draft. I think Armani Chapman is going to be a guy that can he gain anything else by playing a sixth year or does he go to the draft after this season regardless? So I think some of those decisions have to be made. But I think high school, you look at 21 to 23 and then maybe try to find six or seven transfers that can come in as numbers allow to uh, immediately fill some depth. Doug, I saw you penned an article on VT Scoop about the importance of Grant Wells to the beginning of the Brent Pry era. Now, Wells, officially that starting quarterback, kind of as we suspected, essentially since the spring game, I feel like it had seemed it was going in that direction. Now the Marshall transfer is the guy. He was good at Marshall. He wasn't great. You know, we're a 247 sports podcast. He was not a very highly touted recruit out of high school. I believe the 90th ranked pro style quarterback in his class, something like that. And now he's the guy who's going to be entrusted with the first year of this offense. Yeah, I think it's a, you know, quarterback is the most important position on the field. It's the most important position in the program. If you never get it right, um, if you have a little bit of a revolving door, it's tough to have that consistent success. I think we saw it. I think we saw it during the Justin Fuente era. I would say that's probably one of his biggest mistakes was overthinking the the Hendon Hooker evaluation there um, and bringing in Burmeister along with them. You know, I think this is a this is a world. This is a world where you can really only have one QB one. You know, more than that, it's it's a lot. It's a lot to handle. There's um, people are going to transfer, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, I, so I think that was a big problem with Justin Fuente. He started, uh, I think it was six quarterbacks in five years, or five and six, one of the ways. So, you know, you look around at some of the examples of these these coaches that have kind of engineered, engineered turnarounds or built momentum with their programs. And it's, so it's most of the time it's built on a, a, a quarterback, a good quarterback that has multiple years of eligibility. If you look at what, you know, in, in my article, I said Brock Purdy did at Iowa state, you know, completely in terms of excitement level and momentum, completely different than what Iowa state had experienced for years. Um, North Carolina with Sam Howell, I'd say the same thing. 
Uh, Kellen Mond at A&M basically gave Jimbo Fisher three years without having to worry about the quarterback position while he recruited talent talent around him. Um, you could even look up at UVA with where they go from Bryce Perkins to Brendan Armstrong. Uh, lifts them completely from, you know, 10 seasons or whatever it was under under Mike London and Al Groh to, to, to a much better spot. So Wells, you know, Wells versus Brown was always about, like, who gives you the highest upside to win enough games this year and position you for the future? And I think Wells was the run, the runaway favorite in that sense. And it tees up, it tees up Brent Pry to have his starting quarterback for 2022, 2023, and potentially probably 2024. I'm not ready to declare Grant Wells a, an early NFL guy. Um, but that's just a huge puzzle piece to solve for assuming he plays well this year and, and kind of established himself as that guy. If he can do that, then I think, you know, I think, I think that that is such a big boost where you're building your next core. I, I think we're going to talk about that throughout the season and, and, and the young players that we see playing well and emerging, you know, it's a big boost for a new coach and a new coaching staff to, to hit on that quarterback, that first quarterback, that starting quarterback and then be able to ride him for a couple of years. Hey, Doug, writing that article and, and looking at the stuff that you looked at, who do you compare him to? People asked on that, asked on the site earlier, um, and I, it was they specifically were talking about Virginia Tech quarterbacks in kind of a recent recent uh, history. And um, I personally said I think he's got a better arm than Josh Jackson. I think he's got a liver arm than Josh Jackson. I think he's a better quarterback than Josh Jackson. But I think that mobility is probably the same. Where Josh Jackson was kind of sneaky mobile. I think that Grant Wells is also kind of sneaky mobile. I don't think you would put him out there and say he's Gerard. Obviously, he's not mobile like that. He's not Hendon. He's not fast like like Burmeister was. But he's kind of the guy that doesn't look like he's doing a whole lot, but can pick up some chunk yardage with his legs. Uh, but going broader than that, you you know a lot more about college football quarterbacks over the past recent times. Who do you think Grant Wells compares to? Putting me on the spot here with a with a quarterback yeah, from it. around the country. Yeah, get it. You know, he might have a little like Sam Ellinger from Texas. That's a guy that had that kind of long sustained career. A uh, little bit of a gunslinger, but also you know picked up some yardage and did 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 some uh, uh, you know surprising or productive things on the ground. Um, you know, that's one. Uh, yeah, Brock Purdy, I've just been thinking about him a lot lately. I don't think Wells is at that level. Um, Purdy is Purdy set the rewrote the record books there. Um, you know, those kind of guys are big arms, willing to take the shots down the field, um, with a little bit of of get up kind of when he gets outside the pocket. I think that's what you're looking for, looking at for a comparison. Uh, from everything we've seen, he's got a sh- he's got plenty of arm to be a to be a good quarterback. It's just all going to be about if if he can build on his experience for Marshall and kind of translate that to a higher level where where he can continue the progression in terms of decision making to go from you know thirteen picks to nine picks to to something a little lower. You know that's always going to be the big question with him. So Evan, I asked Doug this. 
on the last podcast when you weren't with us, but I'm, I'm curious to see your opinion. And Doug, you know, as you continue to look into Wells, kind of where do you stand? Does Grant Wells have the potential to be a top half of the ACC quarterback this year? And if he is a top half of the ACC quarterback this year, what does that mean for Tech in a conference filled with question marks? And I mean, let's let's be frank. It's a good thing Virginia Tech's not in the Big Ten East. There are winnable games on the schedule. If Wells can perform, where does that put the Hokies? Well, I think the the biggest determining factor for Grant Wells will be two different things. One, like every other quarterback, it's can he stay upright? You know, can that O-line protect him? Um, and if he gets rattled, how does he respond? Um, you know, it, and that's not just if he gets rattled um, physically, if he gets rattled emotionally. You know, is he the type of guy if Virginia Tech's down 17 that can – not turn into the gunslinger that tries to put the ball in two title windows and, and creates turnovers. Can he be the guy that can truly build a comeback uh, in a game? You know, and we we don't really know. You know, he he hasn't really f- faced a power five defense yet. We don't really know exactly what his strengths. We know what his strengths and weaknesses were at the level he was at. We don't know how those are going to translate to playing against you know, power five ACC programs uh, week in and week out. So keeping him upright and keeping his head clear, uh, you know, I think that's going to determine a lot of things, but also who's around him. You know, if, if Caleb Smith can emerge as being a big time player, like it looks like he has throughout fall camp, it looks like he did in the spring, looks like he's got really good connections there with both of the quarterbacks uh, and, and has put up some big, games and big big numbers uh big practices i should say i think you know if you look at him you look at blue who has a track record of at least one really productive season you look at lofton sky's kind of the limit for him you know i think he's a really good player but then you look kind of outside of that you have a lot of unknowns um at the wide receiver position. I think, I think Tucker Holloway is going to play and I think he's going to play fairly a lot. And I think that he's a good player. Um, then you look at, you know, Steven Gosnell, what is he? He doesn't really have a track record, obviously a good high school player, but didn't really, uh, pan out early at North Carolina, but he was behind one of the top receivers in the country. So that'll kind of, you know, bury you by default. Uh, so what is he, you know, can, uh, can some of the other freshmen, you know, Christian Moss, Jalen Jones, can those guys step up and create weapons? You know, can they be weapons? Can he utilize Keyshawn King in the passing game? Um, can Virginia Tech build a run game to help aid his arm? Will the tight ends help him out? You know, there's so many things that go into it, so many variables. If everything clicks, he's obviously shown he can put up huge numbers. He's obviously shown he has the the arm strength to uh, to stretch the field in ways that uh, Virginia Tech hasn't seen in, in, in a little while. So, uh, you know, I think if you're looking at top half of the ACC, maybe on that bottom half, maybe. Uh, but I think he can project well later in his career. You know, he's got he's got some years left. So I think this year is going to be a building block year for him and trying to get some guys around him that can really help him. 
you know, if he comes out and has a huge year this year, you know, I, I, the predictions haven't come out yet, but you know, full transparency, I did eight and four, uh, for Virginia tech. I think they split BC and wake. I think they, uh, beat North Carolina simply because that's what history says. And then I think that little, you know, three game stretch is probably three losses followed by, uh, an end of the year that I think are four winnable games. So, you know, if, that's where I have them at now. If he's playing at a top half of the ACC quarterback level and has talent around him, that number could move up. You know, like you said, Virginia Tech has a very winnable schedule. I was texting with some guys uh, over the past week when I was trying to build out these predictions saying that Virginia Tech could win anywhere from four to nine games. Um, you know, if they could come out and fall flat on their face and, and you know, lose to Old Dominion because we don't know what they have right now, or they could come out with, you know, all engines firing and, you know, end up winning nine, nine games or so. I don't see them ever go. I don't see them going above that this year, this season, but I could see anywhere from four to nine being realistic. So if everything clicks, if he's got the guys around him, if he's putting up big numbers, if he's playing as a top half of the ACC guy, I think nine wins is attainable. If he's not, you know, or he gets injured or the o, there's injuries on the O-line, you know, Silas Danzy goes down, all bets are off right now. So I think, uh, you know, if you look at look at it and think everybody's going to stay healthy, everybody's going to do their job, I think this offense could be pretty potent. I think that uh, Grant Wells can put up some big numbers. I think he'd be on the lower half of that upper half of quarterbacks right now if uh, if everything goes to utopia. Yeah, I don't know. Eight wins still seems like a stretch to me, just given the degree of uncertainty and given the fact that, you know, you really feel like you're one, maybe two injuries on the offensive line into really being in uncharted waters where, you know, the floor is lava kind of deal. But we're also accustomed to, in the Justin Fuente era, Virginia Tech, regardless of what upsets they can pull off laying one to two eggs at minimum per year. But given where we expect to be or where we expect Georgia tech and Duke to be looking at old dominion, Wofford and Liberty is all what should be anywhere between layups or games that really play in your favor. It just takes a couple games that maybe the Hokies aren't slated to win right off the bat between, you know, North Carolina, Pittsburgh, Miami, and NC State. And then, of course, you have Boston College, West Virginia, North Carolina, and UVA right now, which I consider to be pretty tight competition, at least from where we stand right now. I mean, you could get to eight wins, but it requires a lot going right. Doug, let's just spoil Matei's article. What do you have and why? Yeah, I had tech at seven and five. I think it's relevant that this is a program that has cert that certainly was a 500 level that bottomed out as a 500 level program under Justin Fuente. I mean, the worst season in 30 years now was, um, the 2020 year where they went five and six, it could have been far worse. You know, there's been teams going three and nine, four and eight, two and 10. Um, 
you know, so I, so I think, I think with a better coaching staff, they can at least match that or improve it a little bit. Like Andrew said, it, it's going to take a, a lot going right over a long period of time as far as injuries and development and, um, and winning tight games, I think, is another one. I mean, if you look at Virginia Tech's schedule, there are some, you know, Boston College has Dracovic, West Virginia, JT Daniels could be pretty darn good um, if he's returning to form. Um, I don't know who Carolina has picked as their starting quarterback, if it's going to be Drake May or not. Keaton Slovis, if he's anything close to what he was his freshman year at USC. And then you get into Van Dyke at Miami, Devin Leary at NC State, and then uh, Brendan Armstrong at UVA. There's some good quarterbacks to be facing, and I don't know if that if Virginia Tech has a better better one than them. So those are all complete toss-ups to leaning loss. Um, you know, I think September is a two and two or three and one uh, month. I think October could be one and three or zero oh and four, and then you know that. That November finish is is teed up for like a encouraging, optimistic finish to the season, um, where where you know you go out feeling a lot better than you were after October, and so a momentum know, builder heading into signing day as well. You, yeah, you could definitely see that happening where Tech is like, what would that make them four and five or something after October, and then they come in and they go three and one, and you know maybe you. I could see one of the clunkers that Andrew was talking about being either Georgia Tech or Duke. Um, Georgia Tech's probably going to be on a new an interim head coach by November 5th. Um, but, you know, those kind of feel like a little trappy. Um, but still a strong finish. I, get, I mean, 7-5, and 6-6 six and six even, I think, would be a very encouraging year assuming that Virginia Tech gets development from the guys that are going to be around next year and beyond. That That's the main thing for me. Like, get to 6-6, six and six, figure out who your quarterback, figure out if Wells is or isn't the quarterback for the next couple years, and then get development out of uh, Malachi Thomas if he's healthy, Bryce Duke, Dwayne Lofton, Christian Moss, a freshman tight end, the backup off like all the young players that we're kind of waiting to see right now if they're if they're progressing in november and tech is able to squeak out a six and six or if they can get the seven and five season i think that is a huge success for virginia tech evan just another question from the pod last week that you missed because i'm curious especially you know, with all the recruiting intel that you have, maybe you can give us perspective here. Depth on the offensive line. Of all the guys that you've watched come into this program, of everything that you've heard, if an injury were to happen on either side, you know, with the tackle position, who would you feel most comfortable with to be able to jump in and hold their own right now today? I think that depends on where you are in the season. Um, and a couple other variables, but I would say at a tackle spot, if I'm going to go with a young guy, uh, I would go with Chaplin. Um, you know, obviously he's got the size, needs to continue to build strength, but he's got size and athleticism and he's being coached by Joe Rudolph. So those two things alone mixed with, with Rudolph's history, I think you could say 
he's can get out there one give it his all to win some battles now he wouldn't be perfect it wouldn't be pretty it wouldn't be um you know going out and becoming an all-american i think that he could be a guy that could spare you in emergency situations um, you know another option would be you could uh you know maybe a guy like bob schick but he's been inconsistent from what i've heard um, you got some other guys that have cross trained a little bit and could could possibly move from inside out maybe a jesse hansen if it's a right tackle maybe you move him to right tackle and and have Braylon Moore um, filling into that guard spot. Uh, right now, though, you know, th- just with the young guys, uh, Chaplin's got Chaplin's got some buzz. Braylon Moore's got straight heat right now, right? Like he's the he's the freshman that everybody's kind of keyed in on that will play this fall. Um, I'd be surprised if he didn't. Chaplin, I think I think he could get in there and mix it up. Now, if you're looking at the last three games of the season, I'd roll with him and just see what happens. If you're looking you know, somebody goes down week one, then I don't know. I don't know if you go to a true freshman or you try to make shift what you can and let Rudolph kind of morph and develop over the, the course of the month. So, you know, I, I'm actually really high on the O-line. I'm really high on Johnny Garrett, too. Um, I just think he needs a little bit more time. He's already filled out his body a good amount. Uh, super athletic, was a tight end. He's got really good feet. Um, I just think he needs a, a little bit of time to marinate, but I like him and him and Chaplin and more. I think those guys are really big time players. I think Meadows is going to need some time to marinate a little bit, um, get his body right, get his strength right. But I've heard he's you know, very coachable, which is you know a big thing uh, for for the offensive line. He's very intelligent as well, and you know he's a massive individual. So put all that together with Joe Rudolph, they'll make some he'll make something out of it, but. I really like uh, I really like the, the young tackles. I like Garrett a lot, and I like uh, I like Chaplin. And then Braylon Moore is just going to be a dude. All right, last question I got, and it's for Doug. Doug, in receiving yards this season, rank them one, two, and three. It's a good question. Uh, I love throwing you on the spot. I I think I'll buy the Caleb Smith hype as a as the number one target. Dependable, good blocker, so he's going to be on the field a lot. But he he feels like the kind of receiver that they can target in different ways, you know, all over the field, whether it's a deep ball or, you know, an intermediate pass, um, something over the middle. He, he probably feels like the safest bet. Um, I think it's for number two, it's probably a battle for it's a battle between blue and Lofton. Right. And, you know, I, I think I'm going to go Lofton. I just think that he. From the moment he stepped on campus, he's turned heads, no matter who the coaching staff was. Didn't get the playing time and the opportunities he probably deserved last year, although Tech's passing game was extremely limited with Burmeister at quarterback. The Fuente coaching staff never stopped raving about him. And then from day one, or from the spring at least, the Brent Pry coaching staff has never stopped raving about him. Um, I think you know he's now been through two springs. One season, he's entering year two. Uh, I don't think opportunities are going to be a problem for him. So I think he's going to have a big year. And that's the kind of guy that, like, if if that if Tyler Bowen can take advantage of Lofton, you know, I think that's a great sign for what his, you know, game game calling ability is and all that stuff as an offensive coordinator. Because I think Lofton has a huge 
um, a, a huge amount of potential and a, and a, and could have just a just a big time role. I think um, I think I'm going to go Smith Lofton and and, and the Jaden Blue would be number three. All right, last thing, Evan Benji Gosnell out for the year. Have you heard anything about this injury? And you know, does this really spell bad news for his potential going forward? Yeah, you know, I think uh, I don't think it spells bad news to be honest. Um, so we reported this you know, quietly about 10 days ago, maybe, maybe a little shorter than that, there was another freshman that had gone down in camp. Um, you know, I've heard, I don't, I don't know specifics. I've heard knee, um, but I don't know the specifics of it, but you know, when you look at the tight end room and what Virginia tech has, it would have been, you know, really nice to see Gosnell out there. He's a very, very talented kid. Um, but he's also super young. So he still has, you know, if he, He's going to miss the year. He still has four years left. So, you know, for him uh, and and the way he recovered from the knee injury he had in high school, the level that he quickly got back to playing with, and the mentality, um, you know, it's hard to get over the mental aspect of, of injuries. So, you know, I think I don't worry about him as somebody that's going to not take it seriously. I think he's going to rehab really well. And be a guy to put himself in position to not miss more time than he needs to. So, uh, you know, I think that just means Daquan Wright kind of steps up. Uh, Harrison St. Germain kind of step up. You know, I think uh, you got Ty Eller in there probably as three. Will it be, you know, Harrison St. Germain or Daquan Wright could be that four. Maybe they're both kind of in that package depending on uh, what what type of uh, play play is called and what they're going to need out of the, the tight end room. I mean, right is, you know, as dynamic type of type of uh, tight end that could also flex out and be a wide receiver, similar to how Bucky was at Virginia tech and, and Harrison's more of an inline type of guy, old school type of, of, uh, of tight end. So, you know, when you have an OC, that's a tight end, I think, uh, I think you'll see the tight ends involved a lot. I wouldn't be surprised if they traveled, if they traveled five, you know, maybe that maybe four, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they traveled five. So, uh, you know, when, when, uh, Doug was mentioning the, the wide receivers that were, you know, going to have the most yardage, I was just thinking, are you going to throw a tight end in there? You know, Bowen is going to target tight ends. I kind of was thinking maybe, maybe Drake sneaks in at the three spot. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know what Jaden Blue's going to do. He's obviously had a huge career or a huge year in his career. Uh, but after that, he's kind of fallen off. I think Lofton has huge potential, like you mentioned. And, and I'm buying the Caleb Smith hype train as well. I think I think we've seen it. Uh, hard work is paying off for him. I think he's put in a lot of time and I think he's uh, probably going to be that number one receiver this year. But I wouldn't be surprised if a tight end maybe sneaks in there. I think Drake is a guy that could maybe pick up some sneaky yards, and uh, I, I think he could ha- be in line for a pretty big year. All right, gentlemen. Well, that just about does it for time this evening. We'll be back next week. Game week. Doug, you want to wow. jump on Sunday night for a uh, Nebraska Northwestern recap pod? <laughs> Sunday night? What about Saturday afternoon? It's true. Right in the heat of things. Man, what an opener to the college football season. People could not pick a more exciting a treat. People could not pick a more exciting pair of teams. Scott Frost might be fired by the time he lands back in Lincoln if if he uh if he loses that one badly. In all seriousness, like yeah, <laughs> <laughs> totally. They might leave him uh 
on the tarmac in, in uh, Dublin, like, what was it? USC fired uh, Lane Kiffin on the tarmac. Again, I, I'm telling you, my best friend does local sports talk radio in Nebraska. And <laughs> he is telling me that people are calling in. They went from fire him to, okay, we'll give him another chance to, is 12 and 0 a possibility? Is this a playoff team? Like they genuinely believe. So if Nebraska loses week one, the city will burn. I, I mean, you look at Nebraska, if they can get by Northwestern in week one, they play North Dakota. I think that's regular North Dakota, so not as good as North Dakota State. And then Georgia Southern, week three, before they host Oklahoma. Like, that could that could be a big one. You're, yeah. And, and then they go to open Big Ten cities, and they go Indiana, Rutgers, Purdue, Illinois. Minnesota. It's it's not. Well, that that was the I'm thing kind of with, with Nebraska last year. They had the gauntlet. Of yeah. The other the teams from the other conference or the, the other division, I should say, that you could play, and they played them all close, but they lost every single one. <laughs> so <laughs> you end up three and nine with a positive point differential, never having lost a game by more than ten. So it's that's how I mean that's that's how you trick yourself into believing. But you know, do you know what their over under is for wins? I do not. Do you know? No, but I might be intrigued by it. Here, one sec. Nebraska. <laughs> Win total. Vegas. Doug is going to be featured on the Lincoln, Nebraska radio station all week this week. <laughs> we can set that up. Jacked Apparently, up. 247 doesn't have a, uh, a dedicated Northwestern reporter. Nathan was, he had to turn to the Northwestern school newspaper for coverage. He should have turned to Doug. True. Doug's apparently queued in. Oh, wow. Doug, what, what do you think it would be? Six and a half or seven and a half? Seven and a half. So I guess the only people that truly believe. So they're saying they're going to win eight games? Eight. So seven and a half is the line. So, and it's Wait. plus. It's seven and a half. It's plus 110. So Vegas clearly not as hot on Nebraska. But I mean, the way that you just. Chalked up that first two months of the season for them. There seems to be a bunch of winnable games there. They'll eight probably win. lose in they're New Brunswick. Eight, eight wins is plus 110? Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, they're going to lose the last three games of the year to Michigan, Wisconsin, and Iowa. So then you throw in Oklahoma. Then they got to go 8 0 against the rest of the schedule. Yeah. Not beating Rutgers. I thought Doug was on the hype train, but he just jumped off real quick. I'm, 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 I'm leaving the hype train to Scott. Scott Frost hype train. <laughs> but it's going to be interesting to watch. Are we turning into a Cornhusker spot? Yeah, I was say, we, <laughs> yeah. the fact that a, a football game is being played, and we just went to Sorry, five minutes of analysis for it. Here's what I'll say. Who's their quarterback? Is it Casey Thompson from Texas. Texas guy? Yeah. yeah. It seems like a 6-6, six 7-5 six, kind of guy. Uh, I mean, if the past is prologue, <laughs> then, <laughs> then hopefully they don't get matched up with Kansas any point um, <laughs> all right tune in uh tomorrow night folks we got the hawaii vanderbilt preview uh <laughs> <laughs> so, but we'll be back next week but today we'll we'll make him come we'll have the whole squad big old dominion preview evan Watkins in the area he'll be outside of old dominion's field just <laughs> sniffing for leads all week long you don't want to miss it 
VIP subscription. What you need for VT Scoop 24-7 Sports. Matei dropping the collective preview article when? Whenever Dwight Vick emails him. Wow, Attention. called out. <laughs> <laughs> now, Dwight Vick, we love you. You're the man. I'm sure if anyone else had waited this long, if I had waited this long to submit mine, Matei posted that two days ago. <laughs> but Dwight Vick is revered, so we wait for him. But yeah, subscribe, BTS 24-7 Sports. See you next week. Game week, as always. Go Hookies.